Well, finally, someone who spent a lot of time with the late Queen was one of her chaplains, Dr Gavin Ashenden. He remembers a sincerely religious monarch who, if she ever had doubts, never let on. And he wonders if Charles can resist the secular tide that is now sweeping Europe. There's no doubt at all that she would have understood what at one level is an accident of history. But then if you're a Christian, you begin to see God's hand in accidents. So I don't think she would have attributed the accidental coming to the throne of her father as chaos. I think she would simply have seen it as a a surprise that God had up his sleeve for her father and for her. But she willingly embraced it as a Christian. And I think one of the things we see is a sort of certain formal faith, because faith can often begin formally, began to deepen and grow more authentic as as she lived. I've always thought it was something rather of a miracle, because if there was a Guinness Book of Records for how many sermons how many Anglican sermons have been inflicted upon you? She must, she must, she would come out as a person who's been preached at most by an Anglican clergyman. As a former Anglican clergyman, that must have been some form of water torture. We know that she asked people to keep it brief and to the point, and one can see why. But nonetheless, despite having been preached at so much, she quite clearly grew profound roots of faith and, and the experience of the love of God. Gavin, as one of her chaplains for more than a decade. I don't expect you to reveal the secrets as if you were the father confessor, but generally what would you talk to the Queen about as a chaplain? Well, it probably depended on the circumstances. Most of the time, most of the day was spent in doing things, in in this choreographed ritual. You went from A to B and certain people had to be talked to in certain places at certain times. Her down times were in private, away from everybody, and that included chaplains and staff. So her, her private times were with the family. But nonetheless, there were moments when she began to relax. And so what she would do would, would offer sort of dry witticisms, a sort of a running commentary, often on the absurdity of things. Um, she had a very keen eye for the absurd. I think the two things I remember most are her capacity for being droll, about the absurd and her capacity for vivacious joy about things that gave her very simple and very direct pleasure. But did Particularly she, horses and dogs. Did she ever talk Christian theology with you? Because we read, for example, when the late Duke of Edinburgh died, that he often remonstrated or challenged those who'd preached to him on Sunday morning in St. George's Chapel or up in the Presbyterian Church in, in Scotland. Was the Queen that sort of interlocutor when it came to religion? No, she wasn't. The, no, the Duke was. and I would say I probably knew the Duke better, but only because he was more forthright and personal. So the Queen was very guarded. She didn't have those kind of conversations unless there was something very specific and personal that she wanted to talk about, and in which case, you know, that becomes untalkable of. But the Prince did. Um, as it happened, Prince Philip was a first lieutenant uh, on the same ship as my father was second lieutenant. Philip would speak his mind about anything and everything he wanted to, and splendid and really quite fiery conversations would develop with him. So you knew exactly what Philip thought. David Starkey, our best-known constitutional historian, said this the other day. One of the reasons for her mystique was that nobody ever knew what she thought about anything. And that's true. So most of her conversations were running commentary on the day, but she didn't talk about profound things most of the time, apart from in, in the recesses of privacy. How different 
is the new king's approach to his faith. We know that uh, in two speeches, one of them a formal requirement, of course, he did commit to upholding the Protestant uh, church and the Protestant faith in the United Kingdom. But we also know that he's got uh, a bit of the spiritual searcher in him, doesn't he? His speeches were extremely interesting. They were coded. The speech you're referring to where he had to make a particular vow to uphold the Church of Scotland in its Protestant character was a constitutional requirement. But in the speech that he made to the nation, he talked about the fact that he was going to be a devoted member of the Church of England as its supreme governor. Because supreme governor is a, is a non-working title. The king has no control over anything that happens in the Church of England. It's simply a banner title of history. But nonetheless, he's representative of the Church of England. And one of the reasons why he said that was because he wanted it to be an antidote to his over-reported statement, I want to be defender of faiths. He's done a number of interviews in the intervening years. And what he, he's tried to explain that he meant that this didn't mean that he was a complete relativist wanting to draw everything together in a world religion at all. But nonetheless, it's caused a great deal of trouble. And in his speech to the nation, he's saying, I want, I'm going to be a firm member of the Church of England. It was intended to lay that one to rest. However, that doesn't mean he's out of trouble. You know, here we have his mother who over 70 years negotiated, let's, let's say a serious crisis comes along every 15 to 20 years. So she had several of them, the worst being the death of Diana, all of them unforeseeable. And she negotiated them with skill and just made it. I think the monarchy could have fallen with the death of Diana. Such was the, the group psychosis that swept over the country. But she just made it. We don't yet know whether Charles has her intelligence and and her integrity, because she sets very high standards. But he's certainly going to face some equally bad crises. And they come at a time when the cultural tide flows very swiftly and deeply against everything he and the monarchy stand for. The diversity, inclusion and equity agenda, otherwise known as DIE, couldn't find an institution more antithetic to what it believes in. Nothing is less diverse, less inclusive and less equal than the monarchy. And one of the things he's going to have to do is to find a way of resisting this cultural tide. I think it can only be done by becoming more authentically Christian and saying, take us or leave us as you find us. But I fear that he may take the route of relativistic inclusion. Mm. And if he does, what he'll find is that it, it takes the ground under his feet. The only thing with that, Gavin, is if, if he takes the take us or leave us position, if you simply look at the demographics of Britain, if you look at the demographics of the global north, as it were, it's a secularising demographic. Is he not writing his own demise there? No, I don't think he is. I think the demise of the monarchy and the demise of Christendom are writ large. I don't think there's anything he can do to save things. Like the rest of us, I think he ought to go down with integrity. In other words, I'm not trying to be apocalyptic about the monarchy, but I am apocalyptic about Christendom. The whole of Christian culture in, in the north and the south is under threat. And I think the only way we can extend our longevity is by being as authentic as possible and saying, 
our values are equally as important and we're going to stick to them and show you. Dr Gavin Ashenden, a former chaplain to the late Queen Elizabeth II, and there's a link to Gavin's website at our homepage. And that ends today's Religion and Ethics Report. You can follow us at the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Hong Jang and Hamish Camilleri. I'm Andrew West. Join us again for the Religion and Ethics Report. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.